Hi friends, this is the Reverend Jack Alvey with my friend and co-host, the Reverend Josiah Ringers with This Anglican Life, a moderate voice for contentious times. Josiah, are you a saint? Jack, it's not. The The Feast of All Saints is upon us. You know, um, we celebrate Halloween, which is All Hallows' Eve, where we're preparing ourselves to celebrate All Hallows' Day. Unfortunately, culturally, we spend more time celebrating Halloween, I think, than we do all the Feast of All Saints. When is All Saints' Day? Well, it's uh, we're going to celebrate at our churches on Sunday, Okay. but it is going to be tomorrow. Um, Jack, are you doing anything for Halloween with your family? Absolutely. We're uh, going to go all out and dress up, and um, Mary Catherine's a mermaid. She will have a, some kind of coat on, so I'm not sure we'll be able to see what that is and john is a chicken he's a chicken man chicken man what are you going to dress up as jack um a dad uh, concerned some new balance citizen. new balance <laughs> shoes on some dad jeans and a, a button-down shirt how about you sounds classic uh i'll either go dressed as a dad or i'll go as dressed as the uh the person who greets you at the door and hands out candy while the rest of the family nice. goes trick-or-treating nice well all saints <coughs> is slightly different than all souls jack can you describe we have the Feast of All Saints and the Feast of All Souls. What is the distinction? Well, uh, All Saints is November the, the 1st, and All Souls, or uh, to be more um, liturgically correct, it's uh, the Feast of All Faithful Departed, as according to the Episcopal uh, uh, liturgy. Well, why do we celebrate the Feast of All Saints, and why is that important for us? Well, if you look, you know, actually, if you look at Scripture, um, a saint really designates anyone who is a disciple or anyone who is a follower of Jesus. There's there's not a distinction between um, this guy and that gal. They're all a part of the communion of saints. They're all part of the body of Christ, the mystical union between uh, the living and the dead created in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and so for a long time, a saint was just anyone who's been chosen by God to, to be uh, a minister of the gospel. Um, but as church history developed, there were saints who sort of rose to the top, you might say. People who stood out exceptionally well. They stood out, and people remembered their lives and their witness, and they were sources of inspiration and encouragement. And so eventually, I don't think it was until the 10 hundreds, um, it was when All Saints Day was actually uh, a day that the church started to to recognize uh, the, the the capital S saints, if you will, uh, the, the the disciples, the the early church fathers, and that sort of thing. And so that developed, and then out of that um, came All Souls Day, or the souls of the faith, or or the faithful departed. And that was a day to remember family and friends and the lesser known saints, the people that have died. Uh, that were a part of your Christian community, um, and so there were. But that that day was sort of squashed during the Reformation, because priests some some priests sort of took advantage of that um, and sold indulgences and, and that sort of thing. But eventually, it sort of came back into into rogue. And so those are the two big distinctions. One is a day to remember the capital S saints, you know, the Saint Luke's, the Saint Francis that sort of thing, and the other are the small S saints. Like in your church on Sunday, I'm sure you're, you'll do some kind of remembrance of those in your congregation who have passed away in well, the last year. The, the, it's interesting because there are different classes of saints. You know, the saints are the people we look to, to be inspired by, who 
show us or let the light of God shine through them. But we think of biblical saints like the heroes of our faith, like Abraham. Um, you know, we think of Saint Stephen who is martyred. Was Abraham a saint? Yeah, like you know, pre-Jesus. Yeah, exactly. One of those iconic mm-hmm. heroes of the of the Bible. That's a classified as like kind of a biblical saint. Then we have the saints, kind of the founders of the church, Saint Peter, Saint Luke. Um, they're in the Bible too. They're in the Bible too. And then the, the beginning founders of of our faith. You know, you could think of the first theologians, the first martyrs. Martyrs. Well, the distinction, right? Theologians. There are some theologians like Augustine, and then there are some martyrs like Perpetua, right? Perpetua was a young woman who was killed in the Colosseum, killed by a fierce wild beast, mm-hmm. and yet shown that light of Christ in her life. And now there are even modern saints, people who wouldn't fall under kind of the Roman Catholic styling of saint, but we think of people like St. Martin Luther King Jr. We think of um, these modern saints, Oscar Romero, uh, Jonathan Daniels. Jonathan Daniels, who haven't been canonized in the kind of Roman Catholic tradition, but who we still recognize as as people who followed that discipleship of Christ, that apostleship, and uh, are models for us to follow. And this is just you know just a little nitpicky here, but I do, I do think it's important to note that in the Episcopal tradition, that the officially we don't call anyone a saint other than the ones who appear in scripture everyone else is just a uh, i don't know how you would classify them it's easy easier to just say they're holy a saint. Men. we say holy, holy men women, and holy women holy yeah. women holy men but people that have been lifted up so technically speaking it's not saint jonathan daniels unless you're in a really high anglo-catholic church and you don't know any better um, but uh, anyway, blessed we'd say blessed i digress <laughs> blessed Dan- yeah you could say blessed daniel well daniels do you have a favorite saint? I do, but I want to hear yours first. I really like, I love to read the lives of the saints. I really like to read books about various saints and martyrs through history. Uh, one of my personal favorites is St. Ignatius of Loyola. St. Ignatius was geared up to be a, a warrior and uh, very soon ran out into a battlefield and was wounded. And uh, during his convalescence, had a great spiritual awakening. In that time, he developed a way of prayer, and he went on to start a movement called the Jesuits. The Jesuits kind of took on this identity that they would be warriors for Christ. It was like these young men, they were ambitious and excited, and they traveled around the world preaching and teaching and starting schools and and starting universities. They were some of the very first um, Christians to ever go... East to go into Asia and to go into kind of um, spread the gospel in that direction. Some of the first people to go west, and they've still made a huge impact in the world today. We think of even you know the Jesuits. Every every Jesuit college you know um, kind of honors and bears their name. My uh, my parents met at Loyola in New Orleans. Really. Well, and you know, and his prayer practice has survived in a way that's really beautiful and meaningful for, uh, I think, average folks that you can pick up the prayer practices he developed hundreds of years ago, and it's still rich and profound and uh, meaningful legacy. So I really like St. Ignatius of Loyola. Absolutely. You know, I have so many favorite saints, it's hard to, like, pin them down. 
we have a, a Eucharist every Wednesday where I usually um, commemorate one of the one of the saints in our uh, liturgy. Uh, I have a book called Holy Women, Holy Men. There has been one since then called A Great Cloud of Witnesses, and those are all really just supplements to what's called uh, Lesser Feasts and Fasts, which was just updated in 2018. Um, but, but nonetheless, uh, every Wednesday for the last seven years since I was at St. Paul's, I've been um, commemorating the lives of the saints, and it's been incre incredibly enriching to my own spiritual journey to find these heroic men and women of faith who... Um, have done courageous things in the face of adversity um, that really uh, powerful witnesses to the lives of Christ. And so what I'm going to do here is I have holy women, holy men in my hand, and I'm going to open it. And we're going to see whatever saint that is, all right? All right, let's see. Yeah. Columba. St. Columba. Columba, uh, abbot in Iona. We're no, we know about the, um, the Iona community right um you know apparently saint patrick the famous saint of um patron saint of beer um, i would say patron saint of ireland <laughs> yeah but uh but no uh apparently saint patrick foretold of columba's birth in a prophecy he will be a saint and will be devout he will be an abbot the king of royal graces he will be lasting and forever good the eternal kingdom be mine by his protection and so Columba was born in Ireland in 521. Um, Iona, of course, is kind of well-known around the world for its um, style of prayer and devotion. It's a, Iona is a shorthand term for kind of the religious um, ministry and teaching style that they developed absolutely. in Iona, Ireland. And it's still a place where Christians go today to... Um, have experiences and deep religious experiences and spiritual experiences. You know, we confuse the two, Jack. We confuse saints and the souls of all departed, but it is important in the life of the church, and it's always been important in every church since our very beginning to surround ourselves with people that we love but that we see no longer. This is why we used to, why we bury people in our churchyards and have graveyards associated with churches, and why we, um, have columbariums where we inter ashes of people we love. We have columbariums usually inside or just outside of our churches. And if you are particularly important, let's say a king or an abbot or someone of great spiritual uh, wealth, then you might even be buried inside the altar itself. You know, you think of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. The, the basilica is built over St. Peter's tomb, and the altar is built directly on top of St. Peter's where they believe St. Peter was buried. And um, if you go like to the National Cathedral, you'll see inside the National Cathedral, inside the National Cathedral, you'll see tombs of people who were significant to the world. Wardrow Wilson is buried inside mm -hmm. the cathedral. Or uh, Helen Keller, who's local Alabama woman, is buried in the crypt of the National Cathedral. And that's significant to us because we believe that death doesn't separate us from those people we love and that we're not afraid of death. And that veil of death that's been separated by the resurrection of God, the resurrection of Jesus, right? We believe that there's a communion that extends beyond death and the people we love, we keep near us so that that can remind us that they're here with us. As a matter of fact, 
we say in our church service, We believe in the communion of saints. We believe in the communion of saints, and at the moment of Eucharist, before we sing, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, we say, and we're surrounded at this table by your angels, archangels, and all the company of heaven. And all the company of heaven, meaning that not just the people who are here present, but also kind of the entire company of heaven, the whole... Uh, Everyone who's ever lived and has died and is now in the presence of God is present with us as we celebrate the Eucharist. Yeah, that is one of the most powerful parts of the liturgy for me. I remember I was at Camp McDowell for a spring break conference in in high school, um, and I was with a buddy of mine, uh, Todd, and we had both just lost our our parents. Um, Todd lost his mother, and I just lost my father, and um, we were sitting in the chapel and um, Rebecca DeBeau, of all people, was telling us about the, the liturgy and, and the power of, of that particular uh, prayer, the Holy, 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 the Sanctus, and how, how this is the, the, the ongoing song in heaven, and how when we say that prayer, or sing that prayer more appropriately, we are joining in that unending song of praise. And I had this sort of overwhelming experience of my dad's presence in that, in that moment and um so every time i say that prayer i i really do feel that palpable tangible sense of the communion of saints or as we say a great cloud of witnesses sort of surrounding you it sort of reminds me of there's a scene in lord of the rings where all of a sudden these like ghost-like figures come out of the oh yeah aragon yeah jumps out of the boat and is like running running towards the battle followed by like all the souls of the yeah. dead kings and warriors yeah man that's a powerful powerful image and so that's sort of how i feel in worship that you know obviously you know we have an average sunday attendance of 150 or 60 but in reality you know we're we're joined in that great well we say the table the table extends you know, to the left and to the right and front and back, and it extends through time and space itself. Mm. When we say we are celebrating with the heavenly host, what we say is like we're ripping open the fabric that separates mm-hmm. heaven from from our plane of reality and that we are actually stepping into the presence of God and God's mm-hmm. presence is, is fully with us at that moment of communion. Mm-hmm. You know, on Halloween, it's like the time of ghosts and goblins and spooky things. And we think of death and dying as one of those spooky things of skeletons and tombs and coffins. But in the church, we celebrate that, right? In the church, we celebrate kind of resurrection and new life and the defeat of death. I went to a church in, in Rome, and uh, at this church in Rome, they had buried all the monks who had ever died while serving in this monastery. And at one point in the history of Italy, they changed the rules to say you can no longer bury people inside the city. Well, the monks didn't want to just get rid of all the, their brethren who had died while serving in this monastery. So they dug up all the bones, and they said, well, these aren't bones we're bearing. These are our decorations for our church. And they made kind of a cathedral out of the bones where they lined all the walls. They made chandeliers out of all the bones and skulls and altars. Where, where is this? It's in Rome, and it's called the Church of Bones. And at first you walk in... And you think, oh, it's going to be really morbid in, in a way it, it is. But in a way, it's also the celebration of kind of this victory over death. Of We're not afraid of these things. That like yeah. skulls and crossbones do not frighten us. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's sort of the purpose of Halloween. You know, the original intent was to say, you know, ghosts and goblins and 
witches and whatever, like we laugh in their face. Like they can't scare us. We, the Prince of Peace is on our side. And that, you know, that's sort of the original, you know, theology behind Halloween is that evil has no power over us. But now, you know, that's sort of lost in translation. And a lot of Christian churches sort of reject it as some sort of like evil pagan ritual. But in fact, what what Christians are really doing is saying that that goblin's got no power over me. I have the Holy Spirit. There's a whole genre and, you know, market for horror and terror. And yet, we say as Christians... That that's meaningless to us. That you know, horror films have no bearing on our reality because we believe in in the light that overcomes all darkness. We believe in the one who defeats death itself, mm-hmm. and uh, and the one who can lead us through the real trials, which are through living and through the real struggles, which are caused by our own sins and the sins of of others. And so we celebrate the feast of all saints as as a celebration, as a feast, as a, a great moment to remember the people who uh, we honor as the saints, also the people who've modeled for us Christ in this life, and ultimately the souls of all the departed, the souls of people that we love we and we see no longer. You know, mourning for us is a reflection of the love that we hold. Mourning for us is not something to hide. It's not something for us to run away from. We mourn and we grieve because we love, and we love deeply. And that's ultimately, if we want to understand God, we say God is love. Yeah. And God's reflected through the love that we share. And, you know, I, I only think you get this in the right one liturgy in both the burial service and the Eucharistic prayer, but uh, our prayer suggests that we continue in life of service even after we are dead, right? It, it's not like um, our our heavenly reality, we're... we're it's not like we've, we, we say life is not ended, only changed. And so we literally pray that, that the, our loved ones grow in perfect service. So there's an element that our, that our growth with God continues in, in that heavenly kingdom. And becomes perfect in it. And there's, that, there's this beautiful and horrifying, beautiful and haunting, I think that's a better word, a beautiful and haunting image in Revelation where, you know, we're talking about this heavenly throne room this place where angels and archangels and all the company of heaven stand to worship god night and day to sing his praises but there's an image in there where the the martyrs the saints those who've been killed for their faith gather underneath the altar of god and they they belt out this prayer how long O lord will you continue to let our people suffer and it's sort of this haunting image that obviously the the martyrs have been and been cleaned by the blood of the lamb and they are you know safe um but they still cry out for their loved ones on earth who are suffering looking back and saying it's the ones who are on earth who suffer yeah not the ones who've passed through that fire of martyrdom yeah but that didn't say they're not unaffected by yeah what's going on on earth i mean obviously there's a greater reality to come with the new heaven and the new earth with this this heaven and this earth or you know heaven you know, scripture says the devil has been cast down and, you know, it's a place of work or grief and pain or no more, only life everlasting. But there is still this element that we are connected in that communion of saints. In this heaven and this earth, uh, still look for that final victory that we, we see with, with the kingdom come, uh, with the new heaven and the new earth, which goes back to this idea that um, when we pray, um, we don't, I not only call Josiah and say, hey, I need prayers for this or that, uh, but I also call on my loved ones 
who've gone before, my dad or my grandmother. Uh, I need to go to you in prayer. Um, you know, I was talking to a friend the other day who was having a bad day, and um, she had recently lost her mother, and her first instinct was like, I need to call my mom. And, um, and then she realized, well, I can't. She, she's dead. But then she said, well, you know, I can talk to her. Uh, so she asked her mom to join her in prayer. And, you know, that's sort of what the Roman Catholic tradition does with the... Um, the invocation of the saints. The invocation of saints that, you know, my mother, for example, prayed with Mary. I was like, why don't you just go to Jesus? And she's like, I'm scared of Jesus. I'm intimidated by Jesus. I need to go to Mary. Mary helps me. And so, you know, it wasn't, you know, how I would view prayer, but... In some way or another, Mary encouraged her and supported her and, and sustained her in her life of faith, helped her connect with, with our Lord. So for all these things, uh, it's good to honor and celebrate the saints. And that's why you'll see Jack driving around with an icon of St. Jude in his car, because that's the patron saint of all lost causes. But for these things, Jack, I wish you and yours a happy Feast of All Saints. And we encourage everyone to show up at church uh, to honor and celebrate those who've gone before us. And, uh, and those who come after us and looking towards our example of a saintly and godly life. Uh, and Josiah's going to end with uh, a little a cappella, aren't you? Of a, of a, of a, uh, sing a song. a song of the saints of God? No, I'll let everybody <laughs> play it, sing it for yourself. But as always, uh, this podcast is brought to you by Communion Wine, and I'm grateful for my friend, the Reverend Jack Alvey, and I'm the Reverend jo- Josiah Ringers. And we, Communion Wine. And we look forward to y'all to tune in again next week as we continue this great conversation. All right. Thank you, guys. God bless you.